0: Hello, welcome to this week's Writer's Routine, where we're talking through the working day uh, of Lara Pryor Palmer, uh, who won the world famous Mongol Derby when she was just 19 years old. Uh, we talk about how her memoir is different from many others. Uh, also, how thoroughly she thought about the language and how she could best describe such an arduous, momentous journey. Uh, and also, you can find out why writing this story initially came quite easy to her.
2: When I first wrote it down, it's just free flowing. Free flowing, and I would not do ten or twenty minutes words. I was so taken with it, I would just I wrote nonstop after the race. So it was not measuring myself or thinking of myself as writing. I was doing non-writing, I was like, writing without wanting to.
0: It's all on the way with Lara Pryor-Palmer in this week's Writer's Routine. (music) Yes, hello, my name's Dan Simpson, this is Writer's Routine, the show that takes a skim through the working day of a successful author to try and find out how they've done it and try and steal some of their scheduling secrets. Uh, Thank you so much for sticking with me, For the last few weeks, by the way, I've had a slightly unplanned break. I'm just so terrible at getting things together and like sorting my life out Um, in advance of a few weeks. I really didn't plan for that. So thank you so much for keeping that for keeping with me and for sending me messages uh, asking quite frequently. Uh, when we're coming back. Remember, the easiest way to keep across that is to just follow us on Twitter. It's at WritersPod, Instagram WritersRoutine. And I tend to keep things updated uh, as to what's happening, who we've got coming up, when we've got coming up. By the way, over the next few weeks through the summer, uh, we've got interviews with some of the best crime and rom-com and memoir writers uh, that there are around. Uh, And for you to find out who's coming when, really do give us a follow across Twitter and Instagram. Uh, But speaking of memoir writers, that's what we're doing today. Uh, We're chatting to the author of one of the most acclaimed memoirs of the year, Rough Magic. It's Lara Pryor Palmer. Uh, It's all about when she won the Mongol Derby when she was just 19 years old. Now, the Mongol Derby, it's one of the world's most famous horse races. Uh, I think it's like a thousand kilometres long across most of Mongolia, across all sorts of terrain, through wild lands. It's a multi-horse race as well, so you're constantly chopping and changing uh, who you're riding. Uh, And Lara, it's really interesting why she got involved in this. It was kind of to fill the void in her life. You know when you just finished school and you're not really sure what you want to do, and you look around and all your mates are off... Uh, heading to uni, maybe they're already busy in work, they've sorted out their careers. Well, Lara was in that space where she didn't really have an idea. So instead of sitting around doing nothing, she entered one of the most famous horse races in the world and and won the thing, which is remarkable. Uh, You can find out all about it during the chat. Uh, We also talk about how she analyzes her writing, how she's got into poetry recently, uh, what she thinks about the blank space in storytelling. And she's quite brilliant, actually, at deconstructing the way that she told her story uh, and what she would do differently, how she would have structured her sentences, uh, in her opinion, a lot better. Uh, We also chat about why the horses um, are a big part, not only in the story, but how she told and wrote her story. Now, Lara's got some pretty, I'd say, out there uh, philosophical views. She's quite a a free spirit, quite a wild child, which I think you can hear pretty much straight away uh, in the chat because of how thoroughly she's thinking of the answers that she's giving. I'm not saying that every author, when they come on the show, gives us the standard response to the questions, because I like to think that what we're talking about uh, makes writers unpack it a lot more than they would normally do. But I think Lara, more so than probably any other author that I've chatted to, really does answer the questions in a completely unique way. She's got interesting thoughts, and it's fascinating uh, listening to her articulate those. Also, on the way, we'll get a top writing tip from a British Book Award winning crime author. That's on the way after we dive into it with Lara Pryor Palmer, the author of the acclaimed Rough Magic. And we start, as always, with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write like a
2: lot of writers i wrote in a lot of different places but extremely in a lot of different places because again i don't think i particularly had anywhere to live over the last five years that was a constant so i wrote a lot you know sitting i loved writing like the creaks and the cracks of the day where there's just that spare 10 minutes and you might thoughtlessly jump onto your phone but instead i'm at a train station i'm sitting down there's gravel everywhere and the train's a bit delayed and I've got eight minutes perfect for my tiny concentration span. I'll get my laptop out onto my lap, maybe put my back pocket, backpack underneath it and start typing. And something about like having an audience in that context as well, I find really uh, sparks me to go and write like, because I feel people watching me and they remind me to concentrate. Whereas if I was alone, which I have often been at a desk writing this, I'm, you know, let anyone to wonder a little and because it's so still there's nothing to bring me back
0: so, so what do you need that is the constant then apart from an audience maybe people breathing down your neck peering over your shoulder if you are writing anywhere anywhere you find a, a little 10 minutes what, what do you need do you think as, as a writer that helps you get your story down is there any constant that you need there
2: mm-hmm It's just like energy. I need energy. And I am a very athletic person. Maybe we all are, but I just, like, my body gets a little confused if we're sitting down for too long. So, like, the energy of a crowd, if it's not too noisy, is, is like, is something that will be in rough magic. Like, I couldn't generate a whole book myself. There's no way I could do that. So, this is like well, people wanting...
0: What do you mean by that? Expand on that a little bit. I mean, you have generated this, most of this book, I'd imagine, yourself. What do you mean you can't generate the whole thing just <laughs> with you?
2: Well, I don't believe in, like, soul authorship in that I think that I am a product of everyone I've ever met and equally, I'm sure that the particles of the anonymous people around me are somehow... Getting and don't get me wrong, I wrote Rough Magic from the bottom of my heart, absolutely. But... Uh, like the jostling and the activity of everyday life is something that like keeps me buoyant and, and able to write. I'm maybe being quite confusing right now.
0: No, that's okay. <laughs> I simply I don't believe that this this memoir, this 300 odd page book that's sat in front of me, was just written in 10 minute spurts on a train station. I think there must have <laughs> been times when you are sat there at a desk in a constant place, be that. You know, your mate's house, your brother's house, where you're sat down, and you are writing this story. Can you just try and tap into one of those moments yeah, for
2: me? Yeah, I can. I remember, <laughs> again, I keep thinking about how I was writing at the top of a white ski slope rather than. But Why I, were you at the top of a white ski slope? Well, again, so this is one term that I, at university, instead of studying the normal stuff, I took some creative writing classes because I was actually studying history and pharisee and one of one of them was like an opportunity to be mentored and work on my own so that was quite a constant nine weeks of working on it and I would have sat again at very different desks in the library always moving around I can't quite <laughs> be constant in fact maybe there is nothing constant about me maybe it's change or changingness and newness that I cling to but that would have been you know like in the university library out in California quite a forgotten place because we're in the heart of Silicon Valley and you know most people studying tech don't bother going to the library they just work anywhere like in the engineering quad so and it's you know full of books somewhere and the tables in one half are wooden and there's two walls on on some of the tables so that you've sort of got blinkers and can't be distracted by people walking past and uh, the light is really dim, and the ceilings are really low. I mean, I can write anywhere, but then I remember that term also, like, like being addicted to the writing and taking it off on like the university ski trip to the mountains, four hours away, and like sitting out at the top of the mountain. And like, I think writing by pen, which is how a lot of the most raw stuff in that happened.
0: If if we were to try and analyze the creativity just a tad more, yeah, what do you find? helps you get ideas turning it, you were speaking about energy earlier uh what what do you think aids your creativity if you were to try and distill it down to just a few things that kind of keep you going
2: um okay so it's like very possible for me to be creative but as usually destructive unless i've this is quite sad but well not sad but like you know quite probably disappointing unless i at the moment at least unless i do yoga at uh, Ashtanga and um, meditate in the morning, my day is usually quite out of control. So so that's like, that harnesses my creativity. What spurs my, my my I think our own imaginations like do self-generate and just walking through life delivers you certain ideas like you don't, one doesn't need to have gone on some big adventure like the race, the Mongol Derby to, to have that opened.
0: You mentioned yoga and your day. Mm. Uh, our show, Lara, is is called Writer's Routine, uh, <laughs> and it does what it says on the tin. So just talk me through yours, if you can. I mean, it seems mm. like there was none uh, that it was as and when, you know, that it would come in these fits and bursts of energy. Mm. But if you were to try and manipulate for yourself a, a, a perfect writing day, yeah when yeah. you were working on rough magic when you right. when you had to get these words down how did it look kind of talk me through your routine from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed when you are writing how does it look
2: mm. i never spend a whole day writing i can't write for more than a few hours a day um it requires just it's like trying to move a whole weather system into a new land it's very it, it drains me so it it doesn't give me energy but I feel more settled once I done. so I have to limit the amount of time I'm writing in that day and although I learned to meditate four years ago I was not meditating for most of the time I was writing rough magic I only remembered about meditation again in December when rough magic was finished so so really when I was writing rough magic I wouldn't have been meditating but for about the latter half of it I would always do ashtanga yoga at least three or four days a week in in the morning before I've eaten anything um and it sort of would sew my mind and body together, and I felt like, okay, I can sit at a desk now. I can do this. Sometimes I go for a run, but now in the future, or like I haven't had time to write lately. But my ideal writing day would involve a lot of meditation, because it just, it just calms. Okay. If the mind is like a, an ocean, like sort of like just calms the waves, and I, I can just see through it a little bit clearer. And also it just like, stops me from having existential angst because like, often I'll sit down to write and be like, whoa, oh, what am I doing? This isn't how I want to spend my life, staring at a screen or on a typewriter. But that's not true. It's just that I would have that on any day. So I would make sure that I staggered my writing with lots of different things. And I would hope that there was some socialising in that day as well because I think, like, I'm not making very good eye contact with you right now, but I actually think it's really he- healthy to uh see a human face and interact with that face and like if writing is about empathy often interacting with people is also about empathy and trying to read not trying to read them in like a psychologically invasive way but just like have an understanding between you two and often when i was writing with magic again i didn't really see anyone all day or i was very antisocial i was so trying to control this project because it was taking so much of me and it, i think it probably has more energy than me now uh, I, I would sort of really limit how much I saw people. But I slightly, I got very ill towards the latter end of writing it. I had was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and had to go through like treatment and thought a lot about death. And I think that made me realize that um, I would never sacrifice my health for anything. I think I'm slightly in denial of the fact that I absolutely love telling stories. I don't do them very often and I don't I'm not very able to tell them in like a normal narrative way. But I felt as soon as that race was over that I'd been in like a true, true, proper story. And my memory was incredibly clear. I could remember every minute of all the days I'd been racing because I was so raw and tired. Um, something about me was very alive and I wanted to relive it and I wanted to work out why I'd won and I thought if I wrote it down I would, which of course I didn't. But that that I, it was almost thoughtless. I just started writing. I was 19, and I don't think when you're 19, you're like, oh, yes, I shall now write a book. You know, that like, people don't uh, think like that, I don't think. So it was only a few months later when I think people who didn't realise quite how relevant this race is and how, like, yeah, anyone could have won it, um, were like, oh, did you write a book about that? Like, like posh friends of my parents. And then uh, I'd be like, no. <laughs> and then back of my mind, I was sort of like, oh, well, I actually did already write about this. I have a twenty-five, 28,000-word document on Microsoft Word that is nothing like a book because the final length, I think, is 70,000 words or something like that. But I then manically, about two months later, started ordering all these memoirs of off, um, book websites and going to buy them and reading lots in a way that I'd never read before because I used to just if I read I read to for, as a reader but now I was reading as a writer and and the, and so then and then I was convinced it was going to be a book but I was certainly not convinced it was going to be published and I was always more addicted to the process than the ends in a kind of nice but accidental way because I was just so trying I was so honing I <laughs> think I've got Virgo in me and I um I just like I, I Trying to get under the skin of this oblivion this race that had happened it's very hard because it wasn't like anything I'd ever inhabited before
0: you will have answered this question quite a lot in this podcast I usually ask fiction writers I say talk to me about the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your head I want to distill that elevator pitch idea mm. uh, but talk to me about it that moment for you with the mongol derby at what point did you sit there and think i'm gonna do this
2: uh my main memory is um shuffling around google like a sort of like hamster and shavings trying to work out what to do with my summer before i went to university and applying for loads of volunteering opportunities online because i'd done that predictable arc of sort of work plus travel for the year off after school and hadn't found I'd got been able to give much or get anything out of it I just confused I think so when I saw the Mongol Derby my excuse in my mind was oh well it'd be a really good thing to raise money for charity for because it's not the average marathon Um, and my god this race this race is so compact and compelling like it happens so I'd already had these ideas that I would go and ride across Kyrgyzstan um and no one of course w- wanted to do this with me and uh so the race seemed to be this sort of constructed adventure which part of me is like oh how pathetic <laughs> like but the other part is like oh that's so convenient um you know 10 days a thousand kilometers a multi-horse race so you ride 25 different semi-world Mongolian horses around the steppe navigating between twenty five horse changing stations. It's very easy to get lost through a lot of different microclimates and you can ride alone or in company. Um and there are like thirty to forty ca- competitors every year. But I didn't know like most of the ins and outs of the race. It's a very confusing invention in many ways. Uh, when I signed up, I just you know, filled in the application form thinking, oh well, now application form, yeah, know, I won't get in, there's only six weeks till the race, they've already signed on all their riders. And then I think it was like um, when the organiser wrote back a week later and was like just sent this really beautiful email to- in response to my application and I now know her like well and she's amazing and uh, has a, like an immense appreciation of like language <laughs> I think these very compelling emails coming through from her and it was when I wrote back to her email saying oh no I can't actually come like it's way too expensive can I volunteer I mean you're not going to give me a 50% discount are you and she being saying yeah 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 we will <laughs> and then I was like oh god I have to do it now <laughs> and that was the moment. so it was like I was pulled in by the race I'm not sure I was in control being like yeah I'm gonna do it I remember the excitement when I told my mum in the kitchen, this is the um, violent uh, poison coming out of my father's mouth when he found out I was going to do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, two different types. Two two different approaches from my parents and then my... It felt, felt magical, weirdly.
0: Most people who were your age at the time, just about to go to university, they're looking for something to do on their summer break, might go to Thailand, maybe might volunteer at a local school. Why... Do you think you ended up in Mongolia? Uh, not everyone does that. What is it about you? What is it about your need for adventure at that moment that led you there?
2: Mm, good question. Well, Thailand Thank and the local school. <laughs> yeah, Thailand and the local school are really different. And I'd actually like to talk about both of those. So I'd done, I mean, I hadn't, I'd been traveling earlier in the year through India. And I just felt so confused. I didn't understand what I was meant to be doing. I I said, like, what is this travelling business? Um, what, who am I? What? What is my role as I, like, walk through this land? haven't been invited here. I brought myself here. And I just I just remember having mango lassies, at, like, three or four times a day. And, like, eating a like, lot. I just didn't understand. My body didn't understand. I was like, why aren't I doing anything with myself? Why aren't I part of this? Or, like... So So volunteering at a local school would have made a lot of sense, and I think I didn't yet have the imagination to appreciate the mundane and the local and the small and actually the things that are more precious because the Mongol derby at least is a race that profits from like novelty, the idea of going to a land that's far away and removing yourself from your own context, slightly colonial <laughs> uh not not entirely in the the races run in like a pretty sound like a way to a certain extent but you know the whole idea of leaving where you are in search of something like traditional quests sorry I I don't think that's confined to uh, white westerners I think people from lots of different places want to go to other different places so so there was that idea in me but not Thailand because what I just couldn't imagine anything worse than going to parties on a beach with a bunch of other travelers I I was so, like, unsure. I like I was this very extroverted yet very delicate, easily, like, upset without knowing a child who wouldn't have wanted to go to those parties, I think.
0: Y- you say was, that you were this extravagant yet delicate um, young girl. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's OK. What does that make you now?
2: Uh, probably, yeah, I don't think particularly that I've changed. I'm just probably slightly more aware of... What I need and what I am, instead of sort of just running like a train without reason, um. Yeah, I think definitely writing has helped with that as well because once you've written yourself down and then you keep coming back to it over the years, because Rough Magic's taken over five years to write, which is maybe normal for a book, but it some people sounds like a long time. Um, you're like you visit it next June and you're like. But why did I think that about Davenhorn, Or why did I want to appear naive? I was genuinely quite naive about the whole thing. But you just start to question yourself and you realise that the whole thing is a product of your mind and the way you see everything is a product of your mind and that it's not actually to do with other people.
0: We'll get more from Lara Pryor Palmer in just a sec and we'll get a top writing tip from a British Book Award winning author next to uh, I'm in the process, by the way, right now of of sending out all the Patreon merch uh, for those who have for those who have pledged their support. Uh, to the show online. I've got some lovely badges, things that you can pin to yourself to show that you're a fan of the show. I've also got some very incredible, I think, because I designed them and I'm usually useless at designing. And I think I've done these really well. I'll upload pictures actually to show you uh, (laughs) that I'm not completely delusional. I'm telling the truth. I've got these bookmarks. I spent a long time sorting them out. Uh, It's all about You know, things that we love hearing in the show. That's what the bookmarks are themed with. Uh, We've got vomit draft references on there uh, and loads more. Uh, They're bookmarks that you can get just by supporting the show over on Patreon. If you want one, if you want a badge as well, if you even want your questions answered by some of the best authors in the world uh, with specially designed, curated and edited episodes that only you will get, All you need to do is show your support for us uh, over on Patreon. If you've enjoyed any of the episodes that we've brought to you, if any of the 60-plus authors... Uh, that we've interviewed for you have given you some help, uh, which has really changed the way that you tell your stories. Please do pay it back, show your support for the show. You can do that for just a couple of dollars a month over at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. You can pick yourself up a badge and a bookmark to show that you're part of this writing community that we've got going on here, and it really goes a long way to helping us out. Please do support the show over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine hi my name's louise candlish and i'm the author of those people that's out now my writing tip is quite a strange one i'd be surprised if you've heard it before but what i find if i'm stuck when i'm writing is um, that if i change the font it can have a, a, a huge effect on how you feel about about reading it. So I will change the font and then I will read it and then it will suddenly seem so much better. You can get loads more tips from the British book award winning author Louise Candlish. Uh, The full episode uh, happened a few weeks ago. If you missed that, please do listen back to it uh, wherever you get your pods from and it's always over at writersroutine.com Now let's get back into it with Lara Pryor-Palmer the author of the acclaimed memoir Rough Magic, all about the time when she entered and then in inexplicably won the Mongol Derby when she was 19 years old. Now, in this part, we find out how important the horses were uh, to her storytelling. Not just in the actual story, but in the actual storytelling and structuring her book, how important they were to that. Um, Also, I mentioned her free-spiritedness at the start of the show, um, which I'm sure you've heard and got to grips with by now. Uh, But I talked to her about that. Why... Is she much more of a wild child than I am? What makes us different? Why, philosophically, uh, does she think that people are different from one another? And why does she believe that she's a lot more, I'd say, probably carefree and thoughtful than many other people there are? So we'll try and unpack that and we get back into it talking about characterization. Because when you're writing fiction, you can design. Exactly who you want your characters to be, what they are, uh, the path that their story is going to take. But I'm always fascinated fascinated by memoir writers, um, because the story's already happened, and more often than not, uh, the lead character is themselves. How do they get to grips with that characterisation?
2: I hadn't read enough novels or fiction to understand character or to be able to write people. Um, and didn't understand. I didn't wasn't didn't have the capacity to see myself as a character. I was too fixed at the centre of my own being to understand that in this, perhaps in life, but definitely in writing, I am a, I am just a character, and I need to sacrifice my own obsession with being embarrassed about writing about myself for the sake of the book and people's understanding of me. So at some point, I think with the encouragement of this mentor I had for that ten weeks in the states, that uh, you've got to just write. A little bit seriously about yourself and try to give people an understanding and I I didn't want to characterize myself also because I felt so different every day I still do feel so different every day in the sense that I feel hung over from my dreams in the sense that I think like vast changes are happening in the subconscious that I'm usually not aware of but make me feel different so but then you know the general things about being slapdash unpredictable are all in there um, what's what tools did I use? I guess I tried to give a few c- quick examples of how I'd been with teachers and authority to <laughs> give away, uh, myself. Um, what else did I do? I don't think I've portrayed myself that clearly in the book. I have to say, I think I was learning to write while I was writing Rough Magic and, uh, parts of it. Like I reread them now and they do strike me as beautiful, but other parts, um sort of seem to uh, I either not be engaged with my emotions at all or trying to reveal those to the reader. Maybe that's frustrating for a certain kind of reader who wants that. Maybe not for a lot of British readers who aren't engaged with their emotions. Um like uh, there's not much vulnerability in there, maybe. I'd say there could be more of that. Um And that maybe would have, and certainly not a perfect character in here and in life, but I think I could have engaged more with my doubts or my lacks, perhaps.
0: You spoke earlier about how you were writing this, uh, you know, we sit on on a train platform up uh, on top of a ski slope, you know, waiting to go down. How did you know what you were writing each time you you were writing something how what wh- <laughs> what was the the plotting and the planning of this i mean it, it, yeah. it it's it's only 10 days that the the race which you end up won it, winning by the way
2: yeah oh yeah sorry that for neglected to mention the book does I doesn't figure in my mind but i think that is the reason there was so much energy behind this book was i had won the race totally by surprise as an underdog who didn't think she would be able to finish it so
0: so uh, i guess before i asked the question i was going to ask let's quickly talk about that at what moment during the race did you think i i can actually do this
2: oh my god it was so funny you know there's a like an arabic word like mehtub it is written and uh, there was a moment in the race I, this is so bad because it's like dodgy religious uh, leaning in my m- imagination but i just felt like this is under divine control or something when i basically it was the moment when the person i was riding with chloe a new zealander she got really unwell and we ha- we had to part ways at a station she got put on an ivy drip and couldn't go any further she'd been throwing up off her horse and so i was left in second place somehow i got in second place chasing devon horn the leader and was just totally fixated on her and catching her and overtaking her this big idea in my mind it was so important to me i was so fueled by that saga that human saga and 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 it wasn't i think i could win this yeah it was it was i think i could win this and then i did well i I shan't spoil the book (laughs)
0: um so let me take you back to the question that i massively went away from in a basic terms of plotting and planning how did you know what you were writing each time you sat down for those ten, twenty-five minute bursts with your laptop to get stuff down? Did you have a, a spreadsheet of here's what's going to happen at certain points in your mind? Was it chapterized or was it just free flowing?
2: Uh, no, when I when I first wrote it down, it's just free flowing, free flowing, and I would not do ten or twenty minutes bursts. I was so taken with it, I would just I wrote nonstop after the race. So It was not measuring myself or thinking of myself as writing. I was doing non-writing. I was like writing without wanting to. Um, When it became a book, obviously, then I had to make it into chapters. There were thousands of times, because I already had this chronology of the race that I'd written down from A to B to C. No sort of weaving in of other narratives or time changing. When I wanted to add more to different parts of the race, night time when we were sleeping was a good time to write at length in other directions like vertically instead of horizontally um i tried hundreds of times to mess up the narrative and not have it be from the beginning of the race to the end of the race but actually in the end realized that okay it's going to be on the cover that i won this thing and it's not really about winning so that doesn't that's not the end point it's about a certain like defiance that was in my 19 year old self and uh like a sp- the defiance of my spirit that was like no you're not going to stop me from going to Mongolia and yes I'm going to do it in my disorganized way and somehow got away with it in that one instance and and so I think main mainly the, the, the most general thing that it's about that I think no reader can deny even though everyone takes something different from it is that it's about like plunging into things that you have no idea about.
0: It's it's a massive concept you're dealing with. You know, you're talking about that. You're talking about living for the moment and and throwing yourselves into things that you're not sure about. You're trying to chart this this huge, as as I've said before, this huge part of your your life so far. How much did you think about the standard methods of writing a book? You know, you went and did a creative writing course. When you were putting this down, when you were charting that story each day of your race and breaking it up into chapters, were you thinking about cliffhangers at the end of your chapters? Like, really basic forms of storytelling like that?
2: I got into a habit, which I'm not sure was necessarily good, which was, like, I would always end a paragraph with, like, sometimes quite a profound um, sentence, like, which would sometimes imbue it with too much importance and i think i could have left more of those sentences just in the middle you know as written and without trying to make it so much like bardic or like dramatic poetry <laughs> or something um yeah it's really fun breaking chapters i love doing that i love blank space i think i started writing poetry about a year ago um and i appreciate more what blank space can do so Uh, lots of fiddling with the chapters in the end decided that the horses would sustain the book in the way that they sustained and basically ran the race for us so I think roughly although I could be wrong (laughs) each horse was a chapter and each horse was so different so they allowed for a different way of writing and a different um, set of questions perhaps
0: what led to that decision thinking stylistically it might be interesting to let the horses take over your story
2: yeah, that was again, Josephine Rowe, an Australian writer, this person I keep talking about, she has a name, she's called Josephine. And um, she she thought it'd be a great idea if each pony was a chapter. And there was a stage before that at which the chapters were really, really long. And uh, I think whole days were a chapter, so the, the book was large. And then another thing that naturally, organically happened, was that I had very short chapters at the beginning, sort of like a delicate dance going into the book, and that I did, I just sort of I just did that because I was having fun breaking up the chapters. I thought it was really exciting to do that, and the, I think the editors ended up really liking that um, the sort of sort of tentative entering into the race, and then longer chapters when the race began.
0: One more thing about just the writing of it, it's. You know, it's stunningly written in the language that's used. I mean, you were just you just said that you started poetry in the last year or so. I mean, it's written beautifully poetically. Um, how much thought did you give to the language that was on the page, the actual word that was coming after the next one that you wrote?
2: Oh, my God, I'm obsessed. The American editors couldn't get the manuscript off me because I kept trying to... Every time they... <laughs> Wa Ming Chang, who was doing the typesetting and is an amazing human being... Uh, who I finally got to meet on the tour this year and um, would keep you know trying to get it off me this manuscript and I just was every paragraph I just oh no repeated word there uh, you know you just you know it so so well and then you <laughs> and then you're constantly trying to just like get it all to be in place and Oh no! Like spent ages taking all the commas out, then put loads of them back in. So inter obsessed with sound, basically. I think I'm, I'm. The more I think about it, the more I. What's this? I'm more an oral no. Yeah. Or a u r person, and and so I was, I was listening to the book and wanted it to read like a song. But then 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 there was like I learnt a lot from the U S editor Jonathan Lee, who's it's like very funny and can write just. That is able to bring language back down to earth and make like in his own writing, and so I, he gave me courage to leave in parts of it that weren't polished and weren't song like and were just like a bit like, "Oh, yeah, this race sucks kind of thing, <laughs> but not quite like that maybe it's because I was young i didn't have that I didn't have a vision of what it would be i didn't I hadn't read enough, I don't think compared to a lot of my friends uh, to understand what kind of I was going for and I I didn't understand how it would read to other people so all I was doing was writing it from the inside I was unable to imagine externally how it would be received I always got so frustrated if I ever tried to imagine a reader that just ugh, that was so unproductive like I would just get critical I would I would almost stop writing so i like this is stupid I shouldn't be writing about myself in Mongolia like this has been done enough before by white people not necessarily, rarely in Mongolia, but, you know, just in general, travelling elsewhere. Yeah, like, th- those kinds of things. Like I get a very critical voice from my imagined reader. Maybe just how my psych works. So, whereas I actually think my, imagine- my actual readers are probably really lovely, forgiving people and understand that it's a hard thing to do to write a book. Um God, I've lost myself.
0: No, it, it's all right. Yeah. Um You are... That' don't mind me saying this, somewhat of a free spirit. You, you're someone that I would love to be and that, you know, when I'm chatting to you, I can kind of see your brain moving all over the place and thinking of different things and <laughs> pulling that down and dragging it down. You know, you do meditation and yoga. You made this decision to go to Mongolia to do this horse race and not everyone does that. Um, you don't have a home at the moment. Why do you, as in why do you think, What a kind an aggressive question to ask, why do you think you're like that? And why aren't more people? What's led you, you to become this, yeah, f- uh, more free-spirited person than someone else?
2: Mm. That's one thing that Rough Magic isn't able to do and I'm not able to do is is be very good at answering why questions. And I, I wonder why we ask questions in that way or like, what are we seeking when we ask that question? So it's very hard it's like a good exercise for me to talk about why i am the way i am but it gets a little bit tiring and heavy to think of myself as an i entirely in control of myself as separate from other people as um not part of the world in some way and self-created um i also don't believe that i only was born in 1994 I don't believe we will begin then when when we come into the world. I mean, there's a certain aspects of my upbringing I could definitely hone into that were...
0: Um, when do you believe we were born?
2: Not when we were born. <laughs> <laughs> at what at what point? Um. I have another thing, which is like a total lack of faith in words, things okay. that I don't know how to articulate yet. Yeah. that's sort of like that... Would apply to that question, okay. but uh, it's I think anyone would react differently to having fi- finding their father difficult and having that um, quite therefore negative masculine image in their mind and or negative feminine, whatever way it works out, and wanting to run from that and not knowing how to deal with that. But that's definitely not the whole of the picture. And I'm really wary of a lot of memoirs. Um, or you know, And I don't read enough memoirs, but a lot of narratives that go straight from the parents to the story, which I don't think is true. I think I um, am umbrella over my parents and their patriarchal ideas of owning me are just cultural. And that, um, you know, like, in a weird way, we I think this is a theory that someone else has come up with we sort of choose our parents uh, as a ch- as the particular challenge we want in this life but I don't feel I don't feel much towards kinship and blood and um what travels down a, f- a family even though I'm like affected by it yeah so I've just slightly got haven't worked out my concepts but would love to write write in fact about what a family is and why we cling to that and how the country and, like, nations profit from that idea.
0: And that is it for this week's Writers' Routine. Thank you so much to Lara uh, for coming on the show. I know she's kind of all around the place at the moment she was talking about how she doesn't have quite a solid base right now Um, not homeless she's just couch surfing I think because she's um, been off you know traveling around America learning doing book tours over there she's done a huge book tour around the UK as well so thank you so much to her for carving out a little window in her diary to chat to me about her diary you can find out loads more about rough magic by the way on the website is writersroutine.com while you're there it's a fantastic place for you to get in touch with the show let us know what you're thinking tell us what authors you want to hear from Uh, i've had quite a few of those by the way Uh, if you have sent me an author that you'd like to hear the daily diary of if i've not got back to you i promise i'm working on it If you've enjoyed the show today and you've got some advice which you think might change the way you tell your stories, please do show your support for the show. Uh, and and pledge a little bit of money every month uh, over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine and you can get some pretty sweet merch which I've designed for you as well uh, just for saying thanks now next week uh, we'll be with Stuart McBride uh, the mega successful hugely acclaimed crime author uh, chatting all about his 12th Logan McRae novel Uh, If you get a spare second, by the way, please do leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. It really helps uh, people that need the help of our authors who haven't found the help of our authors yet come to the show. It helps them find us. Uh, So do that. Also give us a follow over at Writer's Pod on Twitter and it's Writer's Routine over on Instagram. Thank you for listening. I will see you next week with Stuart McBride. See you then. Bye. (music)